0: I'm Frederick Gürten, and I'm the filmmaker
1: And I'm Leilani Farha, and I'm the advocate
0: How does it feel to be an advocate over there in Canada? Is it good?
1: Well, I am fully vaccinated as of yesterday, so I'm feeling actually pretty lousy (laughs) <laughs> okay,
0: sorry. Happy happy for you and and sorry for you. Uh, yes. But to be an activist is also I mean people ask people ask you all the time about what you think about things that happens not only in your country but also in your own country and right I've seen a lot of stories from Toronto popping up. Mm-hmm. What is that the police force moving in? towards the homeless
1: yeah so i'm getting a lot of traffic around how my work has been a terrible failure in toronto uh yesterday um hundreds of police officers and security forces drones moved into a park where about i don't know maybe 20 to 40 homeless people were living and they moved in on the mayor's instructions, and they tried to remove everyone. They were offering people hotel accommodation, shelters, and the people living there didn't want to go because of COVID, fear that they'd get COVID in those places. Uh, and because the places have a lot of rules that they can't live by, they're really like kind of prisons of some sort. So there was a big standoff. And uh, it was uh, very depressing to see that, that I mean, why you know, for me, dialogue. That's how we solve things. Dialogue. We should be talking. And you have to talk to the people and ask them what they need. And then we'll have happier societies.
0: We don't like violence against homeless people. We don't. Uh, we can see that that it, there's a frustration in society to have a lot of homeless people in, on the streets. But then for God's sake, solve it in a decent way. Exactly. People shouldn't sleep on the streets. That's the position of the filmmaker and the advocate. It is. Or maybe elsewhere, <laughs> around, you know, from the advocate and the filmmaker. We are flying around the globe on Zoom. We're Zooming around the world. And you are in Ottawa, Canada. I'm in Malmö, Sweden. And today we're, so that's six-hour time difference. But then we are now going all the way to New Zealand. That's 10 hours away from Malmö.
1: It's like more from Ottawa, many more.
0: (laughs) Okay. We are actually flying to New Zealand because of your last visit as a UN special rapporteur went to New Zealand, where you actually looked into the depth of of the housing policies of of that country. So let's invite our guest, our friend, Brendan Rigby, who is the the head of, he works for Shift Aotearoa. So that's a new lease not New Zealand, the shift. And um he's an activist and he's a cool guy. Welcome to Pushback Talks, uh, Brennan.
2: Thanks for the invitation.
0: We we don't know so much about New Zealand. We know that it's really far away. <laughs> you you hear that a lot, but it's also true. I've been to New Zealand once. I was there for two days, <laughs> which is like a little bit silly. But I showed a film, it was nice. I was in Auckland. Where are you based?
2: In Auckland too, yeah.
0: Auckland, so I've been to your town for two days. That's kind of amazing. I was flying from Los Angeles then to to Australia. So, what's cooking in New York? In the housing issues on New Zealand?
2: Well, you know, uh, Leilani, when we were talking about this yesterday, she used the words uh, what's cooking and I just immediately started thinking about all of the ingredients, right? And so, as as Leilani sort of flagged, New Zealand has a, a, extremely high rate of homelessness. Um, so what's cooking in New Zealand, heaps of the same stuff as what's cooking around the world, uh, really high prices, uh, really low interest, uh, lots of investment, lots of investment. Um, but also, you know, I'm really keen to talk about the difference between social housing supply and what's happening in the market, right? So for me, they're very different problems. And in New Zealand, we haven't built social housing between 1991 and 2018, So, big surprise, we've got a massive undersupply. And so I asked myself this question, this homelessness issue, is this being caused by what's happening in the market, high prices, high transaction rates, profit making, you know, or is it being caused by our undersupply of social housing, which is our our social contract between the government and our citizens? And for me, it's pretty clear, right? It's actually not necessarily it's not just connected to the market yeah
1: it's both for sure so in my 10 days in New Zealand or 12 days whatever it was I was actually struck at the by the difference in the way investment in housing was working it wasn't these mega investors like private equity firms like Blackstone and uh, Round Hill Capital and that kind of thing in fact it it seemed to be everyday New Zealanders, yes, affluent ones, but who would just like own multiple homes. And I ha- I mean, I have to tell the story, Brennan, I have to tell the story of us taking a cab out to a motel and getting in the cab. You and I were talking about housing and we get in the cab and the cab driver is like, oh, what are you talking about? And we said that we we were talking about whether second homes should be taxed. And he got right in there and then revealed that he owned himself, a taxi driver, owned many homes himself. So that to me is quite unique about New Zealand, but I don't I don't know if that's still the case.
2: Yeah, it's a part of, I think it is part of what's unique about New Zealand's market. Um, I guess there was a period historically where homeowners, you know, like many uh, countries, you can go back through our policy sets, which relate to housing and, you know, they relate to how we set up tax on superannuation. They relate to all sorts of little trinket pieces of policy over the years that actually underlying them say to people in New Zealand, if you own a house, if you own a home, you'll get certain breaks, you'll get certain opportunities. Uh, and they're not just about living in them as a home with a family. They're actually about uh, the financial revenue that, or the financial gains you can acc- accrue over time. So uh, you put that alongside uh, relatively uh, low interest rates, especially at the moment. But but more importantly, uh, people in New Zealand are very aware of how they can use their equity in their first property to get into the second property. That's That's something that just seems really prolifically obvious. <laughs> to, to to new zealanders uh so that, that you know that sort of jumping from being being a single uh homeowner to being an owner of two houses and on and on and on and on right um until until you find yourself being one of the people who gets locked out of the auctions because the bid goes 10,000 above what you can afford
0: that story of uh housing being a great investment i mean people talk about investment and also normal people talk about i mean the people who have something they try to to place it on the stock market or buy something or they buy a house and they rent it out so it's like normal but the the problem that it could be all fine but suddenly when when it scales up it creates a lot of problems when i when, when when i was doing research for push one of the stories that came out was your, that your prime minister, Jacinda Ardern, she, she banned foreigners from buying ho- homes in New Zealand. So that was something quite strong that went around the world. And that was, of course, that was about foreign investments coming into the country. So that wasn't New Zealanders buying house. It was actually foreign investments. And so what was that story?
2: That, that's a, that's both great question and, and a tricky one, you know, because I, as, in my opinion, uh, as an observer of that issue, um, that was, there was a lot of, polit- there was a lot of politics in that, right? Uh, so the degree of evidence to show that overseas investment in our housing market was genuinely the problem uh, and, and was, was a significant problem in our, in our housing market, you know, I, 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 I've never really seen a great deal of evidence that that was a problem. Um, do I do I completely support um, you know responses to this kind of housing crisis being not just one thing but a number of little things, right? And, and so um, I, I'm not certainly not suggesting for a second that it was the wrong thing to do, but the degree to which that particular problem was significant within our housing market generally needs to be compared against those other kind of cultural flows of capital, agile capital issues where that investment in housing is, is so easy. And, and as, as, an economist would say, um, a market can only operate on the basis of really good property rights. So that's what becomes really easy about investing in houses, right? You've got much stronger property rights than you do in most other, um, asset classes. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I'm sort of a little ambivalent on, on the overseas investment issue only because, so let me leave you with two things. I thought it was a great move and it was certainly a powerful signal, but I think that signal was, um, primarily political and only secondarily actually really about fixing the housing crisis. In fact, it wasn't about fixing the housing crisis at all. <laughs> it was, it was about a, one pragmatic move that was available at that time.
0: Because this is something we talk a lot about when we talk about Berlin, we talk about Spain, we talk about Sweden, we talk about pension money, hedge funds, private equity, coming in and grabbing homes. And we have the, all the real estate investment trusts who are building uh, dark towers around the, the cities around them. So that's, I thought that was the issue in New Zealand, but it's not, or it's not as much. Is that what you're saying, Leilani? Yes,
1: yeah, so when I met with government th- in New Zealand and I asked them because like you Brennan and Frederick I thought that's a pretty it was a pretty bold move and she came out the gate with it right it was one of the first legislative moves she made when she was elected back then so I was like wow super cool and then when I talked in fact to one of the fellows who was involved in putting forward that legislation he said it was a bit of I mean he didn't use the word failure but he said it was a bit of a red herring in other words um it the numbers that they had received as like how much foreign investment there was were wrong and that this wasn't the big issue that they thought it was and he was also slightly embarrassed I think because there was a racial overtone racist overtone to the legislation like I mean, that the Chinese were coming and buying in New Zealand. I mean, that was, um, and he was quite humiliated by that. So he, they, he was walking back from, from the legislation. Um, but I wonder now with the pandemic and the way things are working and people are buying, you know, they're sitting in New York and they don't have to go anywhere and they're just looking online and they're buying. I wonder if New Zealand's market now is going to be more open to foreign investment. I have no idea.
2: I think the rule the rule stays in place, right? And so and so that's a good thing. But it's interesting that you frame it up that way, which I guess I was I I hadn't done Leilani, So thanks for being really clear about the underlying drivers of that policy, because I think that uh, that question of specific buyers from overseas waltzing in and. You know, taking homes off Kiwi families, you know, was kind of the political narrative. But it goes alongside another one, which is really, I mean, it's only, it's just worth noting in this context, right? Which is often we find in the housing crisis discussion, we come up against another related point, which is should we be stopping immigration? Because that's taking up our housing stock as well. And, um, and, and and how how can we possibly be be taking fifteen hundred refugees a year, which which of course has been interrupted by COVID as well. But um, you know, how can we have that kind of figure when we've got an undersupply of housing? It gets nasty. Mm-hmm. I, that's, I'm I'm sad
0: to hear. I mean, there's such so much beautiful things coming out from New Zealand, but that's, this sounds like you're in the same kind of uh, mess that we have also in, in on, over here in Europe.
2: But let's say a, a culturally bound miss. Okay,
0: so you, it's, you, it's, in your, it's in your blood, you mean? <laughs> Maybe. Leilani, do uh, you have some really scary numbers about New Zealand?
1: I do. I, I know that uh, in the last 12 months or so, uh, housing costs have increased by almost 25%. That's pretty astronomical. I know that New Zealand also has the highest rate of homelessness of... The OECD countries, uh, you have double the amount of homelessness than your neighbors, Australia. It's pretty bad. So people are struggling in New Zealand, I think, or at least people who don't have a lot of money. I imagine.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Leilani. It's it's kind of it's a tragedy, right? And uh, and I, I actually have trouble navigating this a little bit. As I said earlier, the for me the critical problem of an undersupply of social housing is a different problem to the to the critical problem of how much it costs to live in housing on the open market in new zealand and and, you know just reading some of your recent work leilani in sort of picking being very clear about that point that as as richer people become richer through home ownership Poorer, be, poorer people become poorer because the cost of living in those homes increases.
0: But that's, the glo- that's the global story, obviously. But, it, but you can see it in a very practical, small scale. But it's, that's the global story. The rich, the, the billionaires got 25 or was it 44% richer during the pandemic. And and the, and p- people without the same resources are paying more and more for their rent or their, their housing costs. So that's a that's a global story. That's right. Um, mm-hmm.
2: But it's also it's also a story that, for me, it perpetuates the neoliberal paradigm. Right? It 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 continues to reaffirm and restate a position that we should be relying on the market to provide access to housing. And and I think if we're going to break down that narrative, we need to stop using it. And so that's why I'm like. This is actually a question of social housing supply by governments. It's not. There's no way. There's no. For me in New Zealand, there's no way of analysing our housing market that makes it possible for someone who would be a social housing tenant to be a participant in the market. That's an astrono- astronomical leap, right? <laughs>
0: I, I think it's. I think the, the very word "market" is something very strange, and it's. Because we, you know, we talked about the U.S. Forty million people in the U.S. are one rent away from eviction. So are these forty million then a market at all? You know what are they? They are like out of the market. So I, I wish people who are in the market model and or pricing could tell me who are these people? Are they a part of the market or not? Are they just left out? And then what? <laughs> It's a bit strange. I don't because here in Sweden we we've had a a political crisis due to market rent, where some conservative parties think that the market rent will will save. It will suddenly the 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 housing crisis will be fine. Everything will happen if we let all the rents free. Uh, I doubt it, and and it scares me because I'm living in a city-owned building and my. Rent would probably be doubled if that happened, and then I will have to move. So it, it's it is actually really scary. Leilani, you were you were you were in New Zealand, and as a, as a UN special rapporteur, and then you normally make a report. You send you, you have a press conference, you meet the government, and you tell them you better shape up. So I guess you mostly talked about the homeless. What more did you tell them?
1: I'm, I was really working hard to get them to understand housing as a human right, actually. And it goes to Brennan's point about social housing. I felt that there was such a lack of culture around human rights, as they might relate to housing in particular, and that unless they got their head around the idea that people have the right to, for example, a place that they can afford based on their income, and that they determined the market, <laughs> which is that they can't compete in an open market, that unless the government understood that, I didn't think that they would solve their housing crisis. I really was trying to push them to adopt like a big, broad, rights-based housing strategy as a way of trying to help undo this, undo the culture, this market-driven culture. It's very palpable in New Zealand. I mean, you know, it's uh, home ownership is the thing. I mean, it's like, I mean, Frederick, you and I talk about this, you go to the bar, everyone's talking about real estate, you go to the barbershop, everyone's talking about real estate. And it felt like that in New Zealand. So that's what I was pushing. And then I was so happy that Brennan wanted to start the shift out had actually already just had just was just beginning to start, and was really interested in bringing human rights language and principles to the new zealand context
0: so brendan how do you get the language out the human rights language out to the the people in the beautiful country of new zealand
2: oh, well it turns out that that's a lot trickier than i thought frederick <laughs> <laughs> um you know so i've got to do a shout out actually you know uh just going back to my intro so i work for community housing aotearoa, which is the peak sector body for community housing providers here in aotearoa and um and actually, it was my chief executive, uh, Scott Show who kind of got the wheels turning on this idea of a shift Aotearoa project. And for for me, that was never about anything really, apart from uh, chasing the right to housing and trying to mitigate this financialization problem. Um, and so I've always been pretty clear about that. Uh, but, you know, two years in, and we've just run a, a really brief online conference, um, Last week, actually, which was pretty amazing. We had, uh, well, of course, Frederick, you, you joined us for a conversation about narrative and, and we played our game show, uh, Leilani, which maybe we'll get onto a bit later. Uh, but you know, coming into the conference, I, I had a couple of goals. One was I wanted to introduce a whole, a whole bunch of new voices, uh, to the landscape, uh, which I, which I did because that was a, that was a question of trying to say, let's not try and get the usual voices we hear from talking about something different. Let's get some new people in to talk about what they believe in about the right to housing. And and to a certain extent, that was successful. Um, but I kept on revolving back to, to the same question, which was, listen, we're on a Zoom call. Can anyone on the Zoom call name the seven elements of the right to housing? And I, I just sort of did that again and again and, and it turns out that that's kind of the level that we're at in Aotearoa with this with the language so 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 what are elements tell me sure so you know it's it's human right it's right to housing 101 right so great question affordability you know and people go oh that's a good one <laughs> Leilani's counting uh, Accessibility, I love the accessibility one uh, Leilani and I worked with a wonderful colleague in New Zealand who I'd never met before, uh, Dr Robbie Francis Watini who's just a actually a human rights genius um, Location uh, which has numerous strategic undertones uh, Cultural adequacy which is uh, really about what New Zealand currently calls place based developments, which is hey, as as Leilani said recently, ah oh, that means that the government's actually got to be responsive for what's needed on the ground in a community, not just chucking stuff at it. Where have I got to, Leilani? Four. Oh no <laughs> <laughs> Habitability that's an easy one. It's a
1: hugely important one for New Zealand habitability. They've got all sorts of leaky, drafty, cold. New Zealand's not a warm country. You're not a warm country, and you've got all these drafty homes.
2: Yeah, over the last hundred years, we've built houses for basically a, a tropical climate um, minus the cyclones. Um, so, yeah, uh, habitability. Uh, but, you know, this is the one that always gets people right security of tenure. You know, Mm. what What happens? So I was just in a meeting last week talking about this at a community housing provider. So just explaining that. So the main principle, and you must correct me, Leilani, but this is how I understand it in the New Zealand context is, the main principle that sits behind that is that you can't be evicted into homelessness. So if we apply that across not only the private rental sector, but across corrections, you know, our, our government agency in charge of um, of, our, of our prisons. If we apply it across the health sector, uh, our, our, our hospitals, um, and we apply it in the private rental sector, of course, it, it pricks the conscience of the landlord, whoever that landlord might be, to need to pay some attention to where that tenant's going to go if they are evicted. And I have to add, at the end of that, our average tenancy in new zealand is still under 2 years so we just had some extraordinary data i mean this must sound ridiculous from both of your perspectives right but this extraordinary data and i can't i can't think of it just right right now but stats nz our, our our government stats agency uh, released data about how many times school students were moving were shifting house during their education careers you know, it's something like 50% of New Zealand school kids move three or four times during their, their schooling. You know, so out of a school, into a school, out of a suburb, into a totally suburb. disruptive. And, you know, that's, that's, that's where the security of tenure principle of the right to housing kind of fits in, right?
0: So, so why are people moving so often?
2: Because we have no protections uh, for tenants. So, w- w- sorry, we have very...
0: So, so, so you mean suddenly the, the landlord say, hey, tomorrow I will raise the rent uh, 100% or what? Or people have to move or, or people get, just get kicked out or what is the story?
2: Those kinds of things, yeah. So, so there was an interesting conversation on Twitter recently that I followed, which was talking about a, a landlord who had been um, accused of discrimination in choosing a tenant and the Twitter feed went on and, and thread went on and people talked about it. And, and basically the last, you know, this kind of aggregated knowledge of the Twitter community on that particular issue was the less a landlord says when they evict someone or when they make a choice about a tenant, the less they can be accused of discrimination.
0: <laughs> right. Okay, So they, they keep they kick you out, but they don't talk. That's, That's it. Right.
2: And and so if you don't, you know it's like a lot of these legal areas, you know that if you don't if you haven't said something, you can't really be accused of it, right? Uh, and the seventh is is availability of services, which is the infrastructure issue, right? Uh, which is the driver on on government and local government to actually deliver the right infrastructure in the right places, but but most importantly to have enough money to deliver that because. Most of our local governments are currently throwing their hands up in the air saying, we want more housing, but we just don't have enough money to deliver the infrastructure.
0: Lelani so your, your student is doing well, I
2: understand.
1: What do you mean, my student? <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is your preaching, you know. I think oh, it's, it's, my student, it's, I
1: get. I'm sorry. no. Brennan is really leading. He's leading. I, I follow Brennan, frankly. <laughs> I follow Brennan. He's much more intellectual than me. I wouldn't have even been able to get the seven elements. I always forget. I forget them, especially that last one.
0: So, but I guess that Brennan also could consider you like uh, the master of, uh, of the human rights of housing. Isn't that like that, Brandon? Please say something. Oh, nice
2: I'll, t- I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you a little precursor question for Leilani and then I'm going to explain how I see Leilani. So Leilani, maybe you can take <laughs> a moment to do one of three things, right? Because this is my little Bible at the moment, which is the human rights framework brings constructive accountability, participatory policy making, and access to justice. And that's what I love about it because it's not just the seven elements, right? It's this deeper... And those things are so relevant to New Zealand, you know. We live in this era of of policy by media release. At the moment, you know, the first thing we know about it about a new policy is that we get a media release and find out about it, right? Um Definitely. So so look, you know, my story uh, in relation to Leilani is um you know, I was working for an organization called the Independent Māori Statutory Board 4 years ago, uh and I got handed the housing portfolio and we were Sort of challenged or invited to develop a, um, a, a targeted formality housing strategy in Auckland, and so we did some research, and you know we very quickly came upon a report which at the time was quite new, uh, written by Leilani during her tenure as the UN Special Rapporteur, which set out the idea of an of national rights based housing strategies, and just really succinctly said. You can have as many policies as you like, but your policies are just going to tinker around the edge. If you want a great housing system, you need strategy. and And if you're looking for some way to frame it, or to measure it, or to or to give it some bones, look at the look at the right to housing. So, uh, absolutely eye-opening report, Frederick. Frankly, and. Um, and so, a couple of years later, when, uh, as I said, Scott and Show sort of had this idea of having the shift Aotearoa, um, uh and I, you know, it's a no-brainer for me to try and get a hold of that job. So, so very happy that that happened. There you go.
0: The human, the, the 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 right to housing is is, and I think Lilani has changed a lot, but because a lot of activists around the world is actually using that language now. But, but I still think it's what you're bringing on here is more depth in this and the deeper understanding of the, those rights because, you know, because the, the other side will always say, hey, come on, it's not a human right to live in the middle of Auckland, you know? You know, it's like it's, it, you always get these kind of, you know, it's not a human right to live in a big city. It's not a human right to, you know, oh, should we give you government apartment now? You know, it's like it's, it becomes quite a st- stupid, but I mean, when you talk to governments and, and your government, like my government, like Leilani's government, has actually signed on to the, to the Human Rights Declaration, the, the international law of human rights, where we have the, the, the right to housing. But obviously, a lot of people don't, a lot of governments don't really know what they've signed on to. So that's the, the job you have to do, and you're doing, both of you, all the time.
2: You know, I mean, it was just you know. So I'm, I, I've gone beyond the seven elements, right? And I'm trying to, trying to increase knowledge of those seven elements. Absolutely, and a really interesting conversation at this provider last week, where, you know, you, you get into a community, they start not just asking you questions, but telling you stories about things that have happened in their families in relation to, to housing. And I, and I, I remain in this position where I haven't really come across a. A housing story, or a housing anguish, or or problem that I can't quite usefully frame through the right to housing. And so, you know, we had one one gentleman who was talking about uh, his daughter having been uh, kicked out of a of social housing because of um, some urban development. I think some urban redevelopment. Uh, and you know, so we talked about well, if if we had this human right implemented and she had genuine security of tenure, what would that have looked like? Would it have looked different, different, you know? And so then someone else tells us a story about this awful house that they've lived in and you know, how, what terrible quality the house was. And I say, okay, so if we had this right to housing and we had the right to a habitable house, what, what would have, what would have looked different? Maybe, maybe, You know, because, of course, this is the irony, right? This is what we're dancing around on the heads of pins about, is implementing the right to housing rhetorically doesn't change the quality of the housing in our housing system, right? Um, But but if we had the right to housing, and this this is sort of framing up the question that I was hinting at before, is, you know, one of the things so i talk about these three other principles of the right to housing constructive accountability uh participatory policymaking and the third one which i think relates to my conversation at the provider last week is access to justice so so there's no implementing the right to housing and and creating an idea that people have the right to habitable housing unless we can create access to justice so that if that right is breached and i feel i feel like I'm kind of repeating some of Paul Hunt's recent speeches here. If that right is breached, a person has an ability to go to a forum or a a tribunal or a, a formal body and say, I've got a complaint and I want you to hear it. So not, I don't have a house, you need to give me one. But I've got a complaint. My house is not habitable. Here's some photos of it. I need you to consider that. It it sounds like a very decent idea. It
0: doesn't sound like communism with red flags or, you know, marching troops with uh, Mao hats on or I don't know. It's like it's it sounds like decent, but I wish you were here in in our country, in in the debate we have here. I mean, we we need people who can speak this language. Leilani, you've been quoted a lot in the newspapers this week in Sweden.
1: Is that right? Mm. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of interesting. (laughs) There is a big crisis around uh, market rents and they talk to Leilani. It's cool.
1: Well, I I just to say that it's funny about those seven elements of the right to housing. I I refer to those far less than I do those big principles that Brennan was talking about. I really love accountability, because I like to be able to hold someone accountable to what to the crap that people are having to live with. And so the human rights framework, as as both you, Brennan and Frederick said, is about being able to Say to governments, you're not doing good enough, and you've signed all this international law. It's got to mean something. Breathe life into that, please, at the local level. So that's to me the 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 best part of of um, the human rights framework, and and of course having a remedy for. A violation. So where you're not enjoying the right to housing, you should be able to have a remedy for that, and that goes to access to justice. So those are the big principles I tend to, to, to play around with. I don't know if it resonates. People in Sweden are talking about something. I don't know what they're... I, I can't read Swedish yet, so I don't know what they're oh, saying. you <laughs> to step
0: up how many years have been working know. together now. It's, it's crazy. Terrible. I know you need to shoot out in life and bring kids to school or other important stuff in your life, so we should shouldn't keep you anymore. But I know you showed push also for uh, at your conference and so on. How did people react on the film?
2: That's a really great question, um, which really goes to the heart of all of this. Uh, I, and uh, so I've got to preface this right. I I just think the, the film's amazing and it's groundbreaking, and that's not just because I like you guys. I mean, I do like you guys, but you know the film itself just surfaces <laughs> um, it surfaces all of the right things and it and it absolutely provides a gateway for New Zealanders into the conversation about the right to housing uh, and and that 's why I was so just so completely impressed by radar 's question during our recording you know just that insight to think is is New Zealand a part of these Big macro global things, or are we doing something genuinely different, which is causing this? It's great. That's the question we should be asking, right? Um, but, but Frederick, you know, the reception to your to the to the film Push was was poor in New Zealand. You know, uh, to the to the two screenings that I went to, it, it may have been screened otherwise. A- and I talked to some of the organisers of one of that one of those screenings, and they had basically completely undersold the film. They, they had sold the film as a maybe maybe something boring, like this is relevant to housing providers and it's about the right to housing. Come and see it if you want to be bored by the right to housing. <laughs>
1: <You know? laughs> and we um, all know housing yeah. is boring well, boring. well, that's right. <laughs> It is boring, but the film is not.
2: <laughs> the film is not, you know, and 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 I guess you know. I guess it's part of that problem that maybe documentaries face, which is you want to you want to address something serious, um, and you want to do it in a really in depth way. I guess the audience gets maybe smaller and smaller a, a, in some way. Uh, people don't. No, pe- it's
0: not true. It's not true. Actually, I mean, I I don't know about the screenings in New Zealand. It's been shown around with the New Zealand Film Festivals in several cities, and maybe maybe also other screenings. Um, no, but th- generally documentaries are doing really fine. The, the, our genre is stronger than ever in more and more countries, and and I think that's. But of course, it, it's uh, it's never easy to to bring people out. But uh, I think it's it happens in a lot of places that this film has a good crowd. Anyway, we shouldn't uh, talk about that because you have to go to school and I have to go home. <laughs> and you have to, it's soon wine time for Leilani because it's getting into the evening. Maybe you, you could have some New Zealand wine. Maybe you It's the that...
1: only wine I drink is New Zealand is it? wine. Everyone knows ah, that.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> which means then we can ask Brennan, do, do you have any idea how we fund pushback talks?
2: <laughs> uh, I believe that pe- I believe people should visit Patreon and uh, and look you guys up and uh, make a make a reasonable monthly donation, which is really easy to do via your credit card.
1: Amazing!
0: Right, right. go to Patreon uh, dot com, Patreon dot com, and uh, look for Pushback Talks and and like if you put five dollars, there could probably be a glass of wine for Leilani and maybe also one for me anyway but lovely to have you on leilani are you happy are you still dizzy with your second shot in your body uh, no
1: i'm feeling great actually we talked it out we talked out my symptoms of the second shot which is great thank you brennan Mm. for joining us it was great oh my pleasure guys the only, the only thing I have to say, and we'll have to have you back at some point, so we can really get into what's happening with the Maori and housing because it's such a huge issue. But maybe it deserves its own episode.
0: We should come back for that. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's been very nice to have you on. It's been complicated to set up this call because <laughs> of the time zones. So I'm, I'm really happy that we, we made it. Thank you so much, Brennan, for being on and. And my dear Leilani, we will meet again over a computer screen. <laughs> again and again. <laughs> again and again. So true. And again. Thanks, Brandon. Okay.
1: Thanks, Frederick.
0: Thank you, Leilani. Bye. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Pushback Talks is produced by WG Film. To watch Push, visit pushthefilm.com. You can also support us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash
2: pushbacktalks. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again next week.